Last week when we left off, we left off with Romans 8, 28, and it was this glorious verse. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I want to continue reading a little bit, a few more verses. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. If you remember last week, we talked about suffering and how suffering was a part of the life of a believer. And Paul had told us that, you know, creation is groaning for the return of Christ. Uh, we are groaning for the return of Christ. The Holy Spirit is groaning, in, making intercession, making prayers for us on our behalf. And at the end of it, we closed with, and we know that all things work together for good. And we know all things work together for good. And what a blessing that is to be able to look at your life wherever you're at, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, and know that if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, all things are working together for good in light of eternity in your life. And what a blessing that is to know that. But as we come across this area of scripture here in Romans chapter 8, uh, these verses bring great division to the body of Christ. And you may not caught it when you read just as I read through them rather quickly, but there are two groups of Christians who interpret these scriptures very, very differently. And as it always been my custom, I want to share briefly both sides of the argument with you, and then I will share what I believe and where I stand in that. You see, the, the one group I'm talking about, they, they take these verses, they're key verses for what they believe. They would be called Reformed, or maybe you've heard the term Calvinist. This is where they put a lot of their, what they get, they get a, a lot of what they believe comes right out of these two verses here. They'll see them one way. But there's a whole other group of Christians out there called Arminianists or Arminian. And they will look at this and they believe more in a free will, a man's free will, and they will take these verses in a totally different way. Now, my intention is not to put you to sleep this morning, but I want to highlight very quickly what both of these groups of people believe. Because I think as believers, you know, we have a tendency to go, well, I don't really care, I don't really want to know. Well, I think we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. I need to, I, I, you, you and I need to be able to know, listen, if someone approaches you and says, well, I'm Reformed, I'm Calvinist, you, you need to know where you stand on that. Or someone says, no, no, I'm Armenian, I, I, you, need to know where, 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 you need to know what they believe, or at least have a general idea, just have heard it. Now, I'm not in any way trying to teach these in depth this morning because it, volumes have been written. For, for years and years, they've been argued over and debated over. And I, quite frankly, it's come to something that's divided the church, and I don't know that it should divide the church. I think it's okay for some, one person to go, you know what, I'm, I'm Calvinist. Okay, I, I, you believe, I, I believe in free will. I'm our, I, I, I lean more towards the Armenian side. It doesn't mean that we have to go to two separate churches. The body of Christ doesn't have to split just because they believe different things. Either way, remember this, we're both saved. It, it's just a matter of how we got saved. That's what, really what they're arguing about. But I want to share with you the first, the five points of Arminianism. So there's five points. And the first point is what they would call free will. And you're gonna, you've probably heard parts of this in passages and scriptures and things before in, in talks, but th they would call the first point free will. And Arminius believed that the fall of man was not total. In other words, man sinned and man has fallen, we're stuck in our sin, but he maintains that there's a little bit of good in mankind, just a little bit, enough so that we can accept Jesus Christ based on our free will. In other words, you have a choice whether or not you accept Christ or whether you don't accept Christ. That first point is called free will. The second point of the Arminianist would be called conditional election. Conditional election. And it means this. He believed that election was based on the foreknowledge of God and who would believe. 
Now, we just read in our scripture, if, if, you, if you were with us when we just read it, he said, uh, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So what they believe is those people that are Christians, are God, they've been elected by God, but they're based on God's foreknowledge. In other words, God knew when he created the earth whether Rob, that's I'm talking about me here, would accept Christ. So I was elected because he knew that I would accept him. That's what conditional election means. That he's, you're elected based on the condition that you would accept Christ at some point during your life here on this earth. And then the third point that they, they talk about is universal atonement. And Arminius held that the redemption was based on the fact that God loves everybody and that Christ died for everybody and the Father is not willing that anybody should perish. Nobody should perish, no, not one. The death of Christ provided the grounds for God to save all men, but each must exercise his own free will in order to be saved. So in other words, what, what the death of Christ on the cross, who did he die for is what we're talking about. The Arminius would say Christ died for everyone. All people, Christ died for everyone, but yet you have the re responsibility to accept what Christ did for you. You can accept it or you can reject it. Obviously, the Calvinists or the Reformed is going to have a little bit different perspective on this, and we'll get to that in a second. Now, when it comes to grace, number four, in the Arminianism, Arminianism it's obstructible grace. Arminius believed that since God wanted all men to be saved, he sent the Holy Spirit to sort of woo men or to draw men unto himself. But since man has a free will, means you can choose to follow Christ or choose not to follow Christ, you're able to resist that grace. You're able to resist God's grace. He believed that God's will to save all men can be frustrated by the, infinite, by the, by the finite will of man. He also taught that man exercises his own free will and then you are born again. You guys following with me on this? So in other words, Arminianism is basically saying free will. You've got the, you have the ability to choose what happens in, in your, for, your, for your eternal perspective. And then there's, in, the, in the last one, it speaks of falling for grace, which, in other words, uh, we're, we're going to go to the once saved, always saved thing. We're going to say, you know, if I'm saved, can I lose my salvation? The Arminianist would say, if a man cannot be saved by God unless it's man's, oh, I'm sorry, if a man can, cannot be saved by God unless it's man's will to be saved, then man cannot continue in salva salvation unless he continues to will to be saved. So the Arminius would say, well, listen, if you choose to follow God, then you also have the right to choose not to follow God. So you could, you could choose to follow God at this point in your life, and you could choose to back off and not follow God at some other point in your life, therefore turning in your salvation, if you will. Now, those are the five points, and I've hit them very quickly because I don't want to turn this into a, a Bible college class or a theological class, but I want you to understand those are the five points. Now, the five points of Calvinism... I'm going to go over those, and you're going to see that they're very different, and they're almost completely opposite. Calvinism, the five points are represented by the acronym TULIP. The first one is total depravity. And let me explain it to you this way. The Calvinist believes that a man is in absolute bondage to sin and Satan. In other words, mankind, from the moment you're born, you're in bondage to sin. You're unable to exercise your own free will to trust in Jesus Christ on your own. You need the help of God. So the Calvinists would say, listen, as, as, as people, we are born in sin, we're, we're, we're unable, we, we, we're, we're so deprived that we can't have the ability, we don't even have the ability to accept Christ on our own, it's a work that God does in us. Their second point would be unconditional election for the you and TULIP. The Calvinists believe that the foreknowledge that we talked about here in this scripture, the foreknowledge is based upon the plan and the purpose of God has nothing to do with, man, with mankind or the free will. And the election is not based on the decision of man, 
but it's based on the creator alone. Unconditional election is what it's called. So in other words, everything, in other words, what they're saying is those people that have accepted Christ are because God chose them to accept Christ. So there's going to be people who don't accept Christ, and that's because God said to them, you're not going to, I'm choosing you not to accept me. Okay, now let me explain it to you this way. Uh, What they would say is that all mankind is sin deprived. We're, We're all stuck in sin, but yet God in his grace chose to save some of us. Therefore, those of us that we we can't condemn him for for choosing who to save. Brings us to our third point, limited atonement. The Calvinist believes that Jesus Christ died to save those who were given to him by the Father in eternity past. So from the beginning, they believe that he died to save save those who were given to him by the Father in in eternity past. In their view, all all the people that Jesus died, they're known as the elect, they will be saved. And all for whom he did not die, the non-elect, they will be lost. So in Calvinism, you have two groups. You have the elect and the non-elect. If you're one of the elect, you will be saved. If you're one of the non-elect, you won't be saved. You'll be lost. And that's just the way that God chose to make it happen. It's something he does in his sovereignty and in the way he chooses. And there's nothing that we have to say or nothing you can do about it, so to speak. Number four, they have what's called irresistible grace. In other words, the Calvinist believes that the Lord possesses irresistible grace, and that grace cannot be obstructed in any way, in any, in any such. They taught that the free will of man is so far removed from salvation that the elect are regenerated, which means they're made spiritually alive by God, even before expressing faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. If a totally deprived person wasn't made alive by the Holy Spirit, such a calling of God would be impossible. So what they're saying is God's grace is irresistible, which means if you're one of the elect, you're one of the ones that God chose, you, are going to, you can't possibly resist God's grace because he chose you. There's nothing you can say, nothing you can do. You will eventually come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, come to faith in Jesus Christ, not because you made a decision, but because God picked you and God chose you based on his sovereignty. And the fifth, person, or fifth point there for, under Calvinism, the P, is perseverance of the saints, and it means this. The Calvinist Calvinist believes that salvation is entirely the work of the Lord and that man has absolutely nothing to do with the process. It's something God did. God chose you. It really doesn't have anything. You you have no say in it. And they believe the saints will persevere because God will see to it that he will finish the work that he has begun. He will finish that work which he has begun. And it doesn't matter what the mistakes the person makes. It's nothing to do with you. It's something that God is doing through you. John MacArthur would sum up Calvinism this way. John, if you know John MacArthur, he's a pretty popular Bible teacher. He's a, he's a reformed or a Calvinist. He says, God has a purpose, and that purpose is to express his love to sinners. He, he predetermines on the basis of the desire to express his love to sinners, which sinners he foreordains unto salvation, who will be the recipients of his eternal intimacy, his eternal love, and his son. Therefore, some sinners are preordained, predestined to salvation, and some sinners, well, too bad for you. That's just the way that God chose. That's just the way that God made it. These are very different and very, very different doctrinal positions. I don't expect you to have a full understanding of everything I just said. I said it really fast. I didn't want to take too much time to do it. Hopefully you got the point. One speaking of free will and one speaking of predestination. That's kind of the overview. I've gone over this many times in my head. 
I've searched the scriptures, I've studied, I've read, I've watched debates, I've read, I, I to this day read both sides of it. A lot of Bible teachers that I, that I read, uh, John MacArthur being one of them, is reformed. Alistair Begg, he's on our radio station, he's reformed. Uh, Spurgeon was reformed. Lots of people are reformed, lots of people aren't reformed, and, and lots of people fall more towards the Arminius side. After much study, I want to tell you where I stand and what I've come to believe and the way I've simply been able to do this in my mind because what I find is it appears that these two, these two doctrines are like two parallel lines that never cross. It seems like I can't, be this, I can't be Calvinist and I can't be Arminius. It seems complete opposites. But yet I read the scriptures and I find, well, both of them seem to make sense. Because certainly God's talking about predestination here. We just read it, foreknowledge and predestination. But yet I read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, I don't see where that means just the elect. I see it says whoever believes in him. I look at the Old Testament, I see Adam and Eve had a choice without to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil from the beginning. There's, there's always choices throughout scripture. So where do I fall on this? Where do I think? Well, here's where I stand. I'm not a Calvinist and I am not an Arminianist. I am neither. Well, you've got to pick a site. No, I don't have to pick a site. When the Bible talks about predestination, I believe it. When the Bible talks about free will, I believe it. Well, Rob, you can't reconcile the two. Listen, I understand that there seems to be a difference, a, 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 a very clear-cut difference between the two doctrines I just shared with you, but my God is much smarter than I am. And I can't understand why and how everything that he puts together works. So when I come to this area of scripture, when I come to these, here's what I say. I'm going to believe the Bible, what it says and when it says it. Even if I can't seem to always rationalize it in my mind to make 100%, to make, it, to make, it, to make sense 100%. Because here's what I know. This is the word of God. And what happens is we have to be very, very careful when we take the word of God and we all of a sudden start applying the opposite. And say, well, this is true, so the opposite must be true. Not always true. Stick on what the Bible says is true, and don't always try to be able to put it in your head. So I want to review the five points again real quickly, and I'll just tell you very quickly where I stand when it comes to depravity. In other words, man's sinfulness. I think the scripture teaches very clearly, and I'm not going to go over, over all the references. It teaches very clearly, mankind is clearly fallen and lost in sin. I think we can look at the world around us and say sin abounds. We don't have, the Bible tells us that, I teach that. When it comes to election, you know, are we elected or we choose? Where do, where do we stand? God clearly does choose. God makes an election. We just read it here. We just read that God makes an election. But I also believe that man has to accept God's invitation to salvation. Mankind has been given choices since the beginning, and I think that continues with us. We have a choice if we want to accept that free gift of salvation. But when it comes to atonement, was it just for the elect or was it for everybody? I believe the atoning sacrifice for Jesus Christ was clearly to able, is clearly able to save the entire human race. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. I don't believe Jesus died for just those who are elect or who are chosen. When it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever or whoever believes in him should not perish... I believe that word whoever means whoever. It means whoever. I don't believe that means just, just this group of people. I don't think God made a group of people just so he could condemn them to hell. I don't believe hell was created for the believer. I believe hell was created for those people who reject the free gift of Jesus Christ. When it comes to grace, clearly in the scriptures, I think it shows us that God's grace can either be resisted or received by the exercise of human will. We play a part in our salvation is what I believe because I've seen that in my own life. When it comes to perseverance, 
Can we stay saved? Do we have to worry about losing our salvation? No. I do believe in the perseverance of the saints. I do believe that true believers, we, we don't have to worry about our salvation. But I also become deeply concerned when I read passages of scriptures in Galatians where it says they shall not inherit the kingdom of God and listen, list a whole series of sins. Those who are practicing such sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. I become deeply concerned about sinful lifestyles and rebellious hearts among those who call themselves Christians. And it even brings us to the point of ask, are they really saved? Are they really saved? Now, I just spent what, like 20 minutes going over that. How many of you are awake still? Raise your hand. Good. Rob, why did you go over all that? Because, because you need to understand Calvinism, Reformed theology, is making a big push within Christianity. Cal, you will meet somebody across, before long who wants to share their Reformed theology with you. Listen, but also be educated and understand what you believe. If you're Calvinist, great. If you're Arminius, great. If you're like me, I'm just going to believe the Bible. That's easy for me. Great doesn't mean that we have to create a division in Christ in the Lord's church just because of that, although that's what's taking place over and over again. Now, you can all wake back up. I want to go back to the scripture, and I want to teach you these verses exactly the way they're written, just like we always do. I took that detour so that we would have a, a perspective of the different things that are going on in Christianity. Now, let's get back and look at the scripture at ever so simply. T- simply teaching the Bible simply is what we do. Paul says all things work together for good. Isn't that good for a believer? No matter what mistakes you make as a believer, no matter what the condition of your health is, no matter whether you're you're healthy or sick, no matter what you have in your past, no matter what kind of husband or wife you have been, the passage says all things work together for good. Doesn't that bring, I mean, that brings joy. I've made some mistakes in life, right? And you probably have too. I'm not always, yeah, I'm a pastor, but I'm not perfect. You know, you can ask my family if you think I am. I'm sure my wife would love to tell you, but I'm not perfect. No, she would probably not tell you lies about me saying I'm better than I really am. But I'm human, just like you guys. But I know that the things that I endure, the things that I go through are working together for good in my life. But I want you to notice that this promise that Paul made, it's not to everyone. It's not to everyone. It's not written to everyone. No, who's the promise written to? to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's who can say all things work together for good. To the believer in Jesus Christ, they can look at their circumstance in life and say all things in my life are working together good even though I'm sick with cancer. They can look at their life and say all things are working together for good even though my marriage is falling apart and my spouse seems like he's, he or she has lost, fallen off his rocker and I don't know what to do. They can look at everything. I just lost my job. My financial situation is terrible. But I know the Lord's doing something in here in light of eternity, in light of an eternal perspective. It's what allows a Christian to be able to look and go, I'm confident I can endure this situation because God is doing something to make me more prepared for eternity. That's why you can watch a believer go through some difficult circumstance in life and and just have the joy of the Lord as they go through it. That's what they're believing. But how is it possible? You see, I understand the skepticism, and I understand Paul Paul does too. How is this possible? How is it possible that all things in life can be working together for good? Paul anticipates this type of skepticism, and he answers it. Look at verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Here's how it's possible that everything in your life, if you're a believer, is working to good. Because he foreknew you. Foreknew means to know beforehand. It can also mean to choose beforehand. Who did God know it foreknow? Who did God foreknow? Everyone, right? 
God foreknows, he foreknew, he created everyone, he foreknew everyone. What did he foreknow about everyone? Everything. It shouldn't surprise us that God is, who's all-knowing, knew everything about everyone before they were ever created. He knew all the decisions you'd make. He knew your, he knew your good ones. He knew your not-so-good ones. And he knew your bad ones. And he knew, the, he knew the direction that you would, if you look back over your life and you were to see, I took different courses, different paths in my life. Some a good path, some a not so good. He knew that you were going to make that choice at that time. And he foreordained, he, he, fore, he predestined the fact that whatever choice, because Rob's going to make this choice, I'm going to use that in eternity. That's why so often you'll see somebody come out of drug addiction or an alcohol addiction and they get saved, they, become, they grow in the Lord. And you know what they do? They give back to those people. That they, the same people, they go back and they have a ministry in addictions or something along those lines. It's something that, that they've gone through, now they can relate to, and therefore they want to give back in that because now they're speaking from a different position to the same people who were in that spot when they were there. He foreknew and he predestined. What are we predestined to? It tells us, clear as day, to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn over creation. What happen, that's what's happening in the life of a believer. You are in the process of being conformed into the image of Christ. That's why the life of a, in the life of a believer, you begin to grow. You begin to change. Oh, it doesn't happen overnight. You're being conformed. You're being, and you will be being conformed until the day that you meet the Lord face to face. But there's a process, there's a changing, there's a molding that's taking place in your life. As God cuts away things and he adds other things. There was a time in my life where I didn't want to read the Bible. I could care less about reading the Bible. And there's a time in my life where I got also got interested in the things of the Bible. And I began to read more and more and more, and I wanted to know more. And I wanted to understand. And I, all these, what I just read to you on Calvinism and Arminianism, the, the 20 minutes I just took, I've spent days researching that because I wanted to know where I stand. What, what, where, where do I stand in this? Because it, it was something that interested me. You might go, I, I don't even care. I'm good. Whatever you say, I'm, I'm good. Does, but I encourage you to find out what you believe. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be firstborn over, over creation. Listen, our cooperation is required in that plan. If you want to be conformed into the image of Christ, you have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he conforms you into that image. And part of that cooperation requires change in your life. It requires you to change the things that you're doing, to change, change the things that you're watching. It might require you to change the people that you're hanging out with. It might require you to change the things that you're putting into your body, whether it be alcohol or drugs. It's going to require your cooperation. You're going to have to take the steps of obedience, as the Lord points out. It's not just something that you can sit on the couch and go, look at me, I'm being reformed. I'm being, I'm being turned into Jesus as I sit here and watch TV. It doesn't work that way. You have to put forth the effort to change. You have to do your part, so to speak, in all of this. Oh, verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified whom he justified, these he also glorified. The reason that Paul can say all things are working together for good to those who love the Lord and called or are called according to his purpose is because they've been predestined by God. They've been called by God. They've been justified. What does justified mean? Justified never sinned, right? And they will be, notice how he says, you will, you, you, uh, these also glorified. Do you realize that God sits in the position of he sees your future? So God can call you glorified today as you sit here. And you go, wait, 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 I'm not very glorified. No, no, you don't, no, no. God knows where you're going. When, when God looks at your life, because he sees the past, present, and future, he sees your life at the end of your life. 
So when he calls you glorified, it's not because of anything that you've done. It's because of what, what he sees happening in your life. He can, he can look and go, all right, you're gonna, Rob, you're going to be glorified. I'm not very glorified today, but I am getting a glorified body someday. And he sees that because he sees the future in my life. All of this is a result of his foreknowledge. All the way back there, foreknowledge. God knew those who would choose and accept Christ. Therefore, those that would accept Christ, those he predestined. Go back to where, verse uh, 29, for whom he foreknew. Foreknowledge precedes predestination. Predestination is based on God's foreknowledge here. Those that he knew would accept Christ, those are the ones that he predestined, those are the ones that he called, those are the ones that he justified, and those that are ones he glorified. He's predestined, he's called, he's justified and glorified. Before time began, he knew with the mistakes, he knew the day that she would come to Christ, he knew the moment that someone would accept Christ, and he also knows those who won't accept Christ. And those who choose not to accept Christ are still being used as part of God's plan. But I believe that God gave us all a choice. And you can, if you're one of those ones that I've never accepted Christ, you can change that at any moment. You don't have to do it through me. You just have to humble yourself before the Lord and ask the Lord for forgiveness for your sins and believe he died on the cross and give your life and start following him. There's nothing, there's nothing special. It's just a, it's a place you come to in your heart. I'm, this is, I, I believe this. I am serving the Lord for the rest of my life. That's it. I'm cashing in. I'm serving the Lord for the rest of my life. That's it. Congratulations. You just went from, from, from not being called to being called. But he knew exactly when that would take place. Rob, you're confusing me. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he he not with him also freely give us all things. What shall we say to the, in other words, Paul's like, wow, can you believe it that as a believer, we have all that? We've been predestined, we've been called, we've been justified, we've been glorified. It's already laid out, it's already done, God already sees it. What shall we say to these things? And he asks the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? Is there somebody against us? Sure there is. Who's against us? Obviously, Satan and his demonic hosts are against true believers. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that. But they cannot prevail against us. They cannot triumph over the believer. God is, is self-existent one and sovereign creator. And since he is for believers, remember Satan and God, they're not equal. Satan and Jesus are not brothers. They don't believe the lie. Satan is a created being. Angels were created by God. So there, there's, no, there's no battle going on. There's no war going on. The, the battle's already decided. The book of Revelation tells us what's going to take place. No one can oppose believer's success. You can sit here today and go, yep, I'm going to be glorified someday. Sure as the day is long, I know I'm going to be glorified. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Not because of the choices I've made or I've lived a holy or a righteous life. Because of what I believed in the work that Jesus Christ accomplished for me at the cross. He is for believers to the extent that he did not spare his own son. In other words, he's, he's so for us. He's given us so much that he even gave us his son, Christ. He even gave Jesus to the extent he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Since he already gave the greatest sacrifice, would he do that if he wasn't for us? No, it wouldn't make any sense. He's already given us the greatest sacrifice of his son, he won't hesitate to give believers all the other things pertaining to and leading of, to our sanctification, to our glorification, all the things that we need. He's already laid it out. He's given us everything that we need. We don't have to, 
worry about it. We don't have to fight it. All we have to simply do is be obedient to what God's doing. Isn't that, re- isn't that refreshing? You don't have to figure out how to get saved. or how to, you, don't, you can be confident. I'm going to heaven someday, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. I, God's working in me. Well, what do I do? Just, just follow what the Holy Spirit tells you. As we come across the scripture and I say something like, you know, you really need to be careful about the evil you're putting into your body. Go home and say, am I putting evil into my body? Have I been watching TV or movies that I shouldn't be? Am I, am I, those are the kind of things the Lord will convict you on. And then you make the change. And you can be sure that if you accepted Christ, even if you make the change and fail, make the change and fail, make the change and fail, make the change and fail. And that continues as a cycle. And at some point, it's going to break. Because, you are, because God sees you as glorified. The only person that has to worry, I think the most dangerous place to be are those who think they're saved and they're not. I think that's the really dangerous place where people say, hey, I think I'm saved. Why do you think you're saved? Well, I go to church. That doesn't mean you're saved. Well, I think I'm saved because I read my Bible all the way through once, cover to cover. That doesn't mean you're saved. Well, I think I'm saved because uh, my, I, went up, I went up front and I prayed a prayer. The pastor said, raise your hand, and I did. And I repeated after him, and, uh, and, so, and so then he told me I was saved. That doesn't make you saved. It can make you saved, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're saved. You see, someone is saved when they've given their life to Christ. They've believed on the sacrifice that he made at the cross. Their sins are forgiven, and they make the commitment, I am going to follow you. That's what salvation is. I become a Christian. I become, this process of becoming Christ-like begins to happen in me. James would put it this way, faith without works is dead. Works Works are a result of our belief in Jesus Christ. We believe on Jesus, and then the things start happening, the things start changing. When I look back at my life, I can see my walk in Christianity. I'm not the same person I was when I first believed. When I first believed, you know how much different I was? None. I was the same person. I was still doing all the things of sin. But you know what? The Lord knocked on my heart little by little and said, hey, I want you to stop talking like that. Hey, I want you to stop watching that. Hey, I want you to stop treating people that way. I want, you know what I used to like to do? I used to like to, I used to, like to argue with people. I, I, have to, I, I struggled with this for a long time. I like to, I like to play. And, ask, and if you don't believe this, you can ask my dad. I used to drive him nuts. No, don't tell any stories, dad. I used to like to play devil's advocate. So if I knew that you believed Calvinism, I'd be Arminius. If I knew that you believed Arminius, I'd be Calvinist. If I knew you, if I knew you believed in eternal security, well, then I'd believe in, you know, you could lose your salvation. I, I, it didn't matter which side. I just wanted to argue. And I used to think it was funny when I could get somebody all fired up. And they'd get mad and start throwing things. And, just, and I used to find that as a, and you know what? The Lord knocked on my heart one day and said, stop it. Stop, stop arguing with people like that. that. That is not the right way to be. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Look at verse 33. Who shall bring a charge? That word means legal accusation. Who shall bring a legal accusation or a charge against God's elect? There it is, the elect. It is God who justifies. Who's going to bring a charge against us? Satan's identified as the accuser of God's people, isn't he? He's the one who accuses us. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that. His accusations are valid because we're sinful. Because they're based on the believer's sinfulness and defilement. In other words, Satan can accuse the brethren before the Lord. He could say, Rob's a sinner. And you know what I have to say? Yes, I am a sinner. But Satan's accusations will be thrown out of court. In other words, as he goes before the Lord to accuse us, his accusations will be thrown out of court because it is God who justifies. You see, I'm not justified based on my sin or not sin i'm justified based on what christ did on the cross for me the judge himself declares the accused person righteous based on his faith in jesus christ 
I'm, de- I'm, I'm declared righteous before God based on my faith in Jesus Christ, and you are too if you're a believer, not based on the choices that you've made in your past life. As a result, all the accusations are dismissed, and no one can bring an accusation that will stand. In other words, Satan's going to tell you, maybe he whispers in your ear, all of your failures. Has that ever happened to you? Satan whispers, all the failures. You know, you know, before you came to Christ, you did this, and you did that. You're not a very good Christian. Th- those things aren't forgiven. He tells you all, that you're not good enough to be a Christian. You, and you ever have that happen to you? He just whispers all this guilt and all this stuff and all these things that happen in your, in your ears. Remember who he is. He's the father of lies. And he wants to tell you a lie, and he wants you to believe them. It's been well said that the next time that Satan reminds you of your past, you just simply remind him of his future, which will be in the lake of fire. The next time he reminds you of your past, you just simply remind him of his future, and you say, and you know what? You agree with him. You're right. I'm not a very good Christian, but my Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for me just the way that I am. You're right. I should be doing more reading of the Bible than I do, but the Lord Jesus still loves me. You're right, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that thing or I shouldn't have done that. You're right, you're absolutely right. You know what, I stand guilty at, at your accusation, but you know what, it's going to get thrown out of court one day because God's going to say, I don't want to hear that case because he's in, he's in Christ. He's a new creation in Christ. Isn't that, isn't that glorious? I don't have to worry about it. Yes, we're going to make mistakes, but we can stand before the Lord stand before the Lord based on his righteousness. We are in Christ. Paul has told us, great, gone to great lengths through these first eight chapters to tell us that. The Lord Jesus Christ is indeed the judge. Notice what it says. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession. Who is he who condemns? Verse 34. Who is he who condemns? Literally, who will condemn? Who does that? That's Christ. Christ the one that will, do the con- will condemn people. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who's the one who condemns? It's Christ. Christ will one day say to those who did not believe in him, he will, at the white throne judgment, will cast them into the lake of fire. He, he is the one that will condemn. It's Jesus that died for us. Those that believe in him, he's the one that died for us. He rose for us and is now sitting at the right hand of God. Why on earth would he condemn those who believe in him? He won't. It'll just be those who don't believe. It'll just be those who've chose not to. The Lord Jesus Christ is the judge, but he's also the one with whom each believer identifies with by faith. And as a result, he becomes our sacrifice for sin. He becomes a believer's new life. He becomes a believer's intercessor, interceding at the right hand of the Father for us. He becomes a believer's defense. You see, Christ is the one that will condemn those who don't believe, but those who do believe, we will be eternally with him. Verse 35. Oh, I wrote here, certainly the judge will not condemn his own who are in him by faith. That was Romans 8.1. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If all things are working together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And there can be, people can make accusations against us, but they will not stand. No matter what Satan says, no matter what he does, he can bring your past up, but it's not going to matter. Who can separate us, that's the believers, from the Lord Jesus Christ? Shall tribulation or distress persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for your sake we are killed all day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us in other words he asks if we have all of this if we've 
if he foreknew us, he predestined us, he called us, he justified us, he glorified us, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Then he lists seven circumstances or situations that might be, that you might find in the life of a believer. He says tribulation, that means trouble involving suffering or persecution. Can tribulation in our life separate us from Christ? Nope. What about distress, a stressful situation, anguish, trouble, can that separate you from Christ? Nope. What about persecution? means to systematically organize a program to harass believers of Christians. Could that separate somebody? Nope. Might not be fun to go through, but it's not going to separate you. What about famine, widespread lack of food over a considerable period of time resulting in many people going hungry, maybe even dying of starvation? Would that separate somebody from the love of Christ? Paul says, no, of course not. What about nakedness? So poor you can't even replace your clothes. They're torn and tattered. You can't even buy a new, a new outfit to wear. We have a hard time relating to that, don't we? Because we have a Goodwill store that will probably give you. They probably throw away more clothes than they ever put on the rack. We really don't know what that's like, but that's a, real, that's, that's, true, that's a true thing in many parts of the world. Nakedness, I don't have enough money to replace my clothes. Could that separate me? Nope, not, not according to Paul. What about peril? That means being in dangerous or threatening circumstances. I'm, I might, somebody might cut my head off. I'm, I'm, I'm a missionary in a foreign country. Somebody might rob me or hurt me or beat me. Will that separate me? Nope, Paul says no. What about a sword? means facing a violent death. Will that separate me? No. Paul says, as a matter of fact, he quotes Psalm 44, 22. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. That's the believers. We're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. We just herded. This is during the time of persecution where, where Christians were, be, were being killed. We're killed all day long. Yet, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So remind us, remind his readers that in, the life, that in this life, people must face affliction. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to face hardship. But it's not going to separate you from the Lord Jesus Christ. In the early days of the church, Christians were martyred every day. Or they faced that possibility. Today, in many parts of the world, Christians are being martyred every day. Or they face that possibility. Simply by being a, being, standing for their faith. And look at the glorious verse in 37. Yet... In all these things, all the difficulty, all the hardship, all the suffering, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors through him. Not by our strength, not by our might, not by our power, but by his spirit. Not, not We don't do it on our own. We're more than conquerors because of who we are in Jesus Christ. In other words, we keep on conquering. We keep on being victorious. We keep on winning a glorious victory because even death can't separate us from, from, our, from our Savior. Even death can't separate us from Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Fortunately, hopefully none of us face that today. But if you're a believer, it's just a doorway into heaven. You're just going to go be with your Lord forever. You're going to say goodbye to some people here and we'll sure miss you. Look at verse 38 and we'll close in these couple of verses. For I am persuaded. That means Paul's convinced. I am convinced in all that he's been through. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice Paul goes to extremes. Death, life, angels, demons, present, future, above, below, nothing that is created, nothing that, can you name something that's not created? Besides God himself, everything that we see is created. Nothing 
What an amazing way to affirm the certainty of a believer's salvation. He said in verse 37, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Are you more than a conqueror because you're in Jesus Christ? Listen, if you don't know Christ, today is the day that you need to give your life to Christ. If you've already given your life to Christ, stand up and realize, you know what? I'm not moping around anymore. I don't care. I'm going to move past. I am secure. I am going to follow the Lord. I am, I am right on with the Lord. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus because the Bible says that. But if you don't know the Lord, none of these promises apply to you. You see, he said all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. If you don't know the Lord, today is the day where you need to just bow your head, you need to close your eyes, you need to decide, am I going to follow the Lord? From here on out, am I going to do things his way or I'm not? Do I want these promises? Do I want this assurance that all things are working together for good in my life? That God can take old things and make them new? Or do I want to just continue in life the way that it's been? You know, I would hope and be my prayer that we all do that. That we all, everybody in this room would not leave here today without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you do that, if you make that choice, tell the person next to you that you just gave your life to Christ. It's real easy. There's no special prayer to pray. It's you just acknowledging what he did on the cross and you accepting what he did on the cross and you making a decision, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to believe the word of God and I'm going to continue following God for the rest of my life. It's that simple. If you do that, tell the person next to you, the person that brought you, because I'm sure they want to hear it. For the rest of us, let's pray and then we're going to stand with one last song. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, sometimes mankind can make it so complicated. Doctrines can be birthed out of things that maybe they don't even need to be there. Lord, I thank you for the ability just to study through and read through ever so simply and just take it and these wonderful promises that we get. We can know that all things are working together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We can know that he foreknew us, that he predestined us. We can know that he called us, he justified us, he's already glorified us. We can be confident he who has begun a good work and you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, as a believer, as a Christian, I say thank you for those promises. I say thank you that we have Christ on our side. That the day we won't be condemned. In Jesus' name, amen.